Mark chapter 6 in your Bibles as we continue our journey through the Gospel of Mark and before we partake in communion together. Mark chapter 6. If you're just joining us now, we've been going through the Gospel of Mark and our morning services together and have enjoyed so doing. This is now our 21st such message out of the Gospel of Mark, and we're only in chapter 6. It's a big book, uh, though the shortest of the four Gospels. As you're turning to Mark chapter 6, maybe I could ask you this question. How many people in our country do you think are Christians? Now, if you had to take a guess, how many truly are truly saved, that's a hard question. I don't know how you would really be able to answer that question, because only God knows the heart. Uh, One way, I guess, you could go about answering that question would be to ask them. And though I realize that there are potential pitfalls with that method, we could at least ask people in America, are you a Christian? According to Barna's research, which is a Christian evangelical kind of research arm, according to Barna's research, 83% of Americans claim to be a Christian. 83%. That's more than 8 out of 10 people in our country that claim to be saved. Now, obviously, that's somewhat confusing. Because my guess would be that based on what is going on and really what is being celebrated in our nation today, you, like me, would not have said that 8 out of 10 people are truly saved. All kinds of confusing thoughts come to my mind when I hear an 83% number. What does it really mean to be a Christian? Is being a Christian just akin to being born as an American, like it's kind of your birthright? Is believing in Jesus just a matter of acknowledging that he exists and giving him a service or two each week? Is that all that it means to being a Christian? Point of fact is that there's all kinds of confusion of what it means to be a Christian and even how to become a Christian. But this confusion is not new. The confusion we have today over who Jesus Christ was and who we really need to be to follow him is the kind of confusion that typifies the New Testament time period. Even as we find our way back to the Gospel of Mark in this series, we find ourselves talking frequently about all these people who saw Jesus, remember that, and who listened to Jesus. Even these people who watched Jesus perform miracles But even in the midst of that group, there were those who refused to believe in Jesus. They would not embrace the gospel. They would not become true followers of Jesus. And we see that time and time again in our text from the gospel of Mark. Even in chapter 6, verse 14, it says, In King Herod, it came all the way up to King Herod. He had heard about it, for his name, speaking of Jesus, had become well-known. It had become so well-known, it had percolated through the, the society and made its way all the way up to the rulers of that day. People knew about Jesus. You could just stop just about anybody, it seems, on the streets of Jerusalem or in the areas surrounding Galilee and ask them, have you heard of Jesus? And they would have said, yeah, we've heard about Jesus. And maybe it's because they saw him with their own eyes and heard him with their own ears. At this point, Jesus had been preaching to an impressive amount of crowds in an impressive amount of places. 
Maybe it's because they had heard him preached, or they had heard others talk about how they had heard him preach. In the verses just before this, we read about the sending out of the twelve, and we talked about that last week. And so maybe they didn't hear Jesus particularly, but maybe they heard the other twelve who had been sent out by our Lord two by two as his mouthpieces on earth. And no doubt the people who had heard about Jesus saw Jesus and couldn't help but being amazed by Jesus. In fact, in chapter 6, verse 2, it says, And when the Sabbath was come, he began to teach. This was his method. And he taught in the synagogue, and many listened, and notice, they were astonished. They were amazed. That's the word, blown away. They could see what Jesus did. They couldn't deny the miracles or the power of testimony as he preached. And yet, even though they were amazed, many still did not believe. That seems pretty much like America. If you were going to press the issue and ask, do you have access at least to the Bible? It wouldn't be hard to find access to the Bible. Why did so many people not believe? How how would you know if someone really did believe? And what would a true follower of Jesus look like? That's what I want to consider this morning as I look back in Mark chapter 6 at the account of John's death, John the Baptist. It's kind of a discouraging account. You're talking about someone who dies. It's definitely a sad account. You're talking about someone who was used of God in amazing ways and ended in a tragic way. At least his life did. But in this sad account, we have a wonderful picture of what it means to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ. Let's pick up our reading in Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 14 of this passage. And King Herod heard of him, Jesus, for his name was spread abroad. And he said that John the Baptist was risen from the dead, and therefore mighty works do show forth themselves in him. Others said, that is Elias, and others still said, that is a prophet, or as one of the prophets. But when Herod heard, therefore, he said, it is John whom I beheaded, he is risen from the dead. For Herod himself had sent forth and laid a hold upon John and bound him in the prison of Herodias' sake for his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. For John had said unto Herod, It is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. Therefore Herodias had a quarrel against him and would have had him killed, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just man and an holy man, and observed him when he had heard him. He had many things and had heard him gladly. And when a convenient day was come, that Herod on his birthday made a supper to the Lord's high captains and chief estates of Galilee, and when the daughter of the said Herodias came in and danced and pleased Herod and them that sat with him, the king said unto the damsel, Ask of me whatever thou wilt, and I will give it to thee. And he sware unto her, Whatsoever thou shalt ask of me, I will give it thee unto the half of my kingdom. And she went forth and said unto her mother, What shall I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And she came in straightway with haste unto the king, and asked, saying, I will that thou give me by and by in a charger the head of John the Baptist. And the king was exceeding sorry. Yet, for his oath's sake and for their sakes, which sat with him, he could not or would not reject her. And immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded the head to be brought. And he went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head in a charger 
and gave it to the damsel, and the damsel gave it to her mother. And when the disciples heard of it, they came and took up his corpse and laid it in a tomb. And the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said unto them, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while, for, they, for were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so as to eat. And they departed, the disciples, into a desert place by ship privately. Again, I want to repeat a question that we're going to be exploring this morning from this text. What does it mean to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ? And friends, because the Bible is so clear on this matter, you need to have a rock-solid understanding of gospel truth that you can answer it fully from the principles and commands given to us in the Word of God. This is not a passing question. The passage before us gives us an interesting account Interwoven in these verses, we have several different groups represented. We have the political elite in this text, not just Herod, but others that are gathered with Herod as well. We have the people of that day that are gathered there. There are observers seeing what is going on. Even from the outside looking in, we could be part of that group. We're observing what is happening And we have the last Old Testament prophet, John the Baptist, heralded in this text one final time in Scripture. And each group, whether it be the political elite, the people of that day, ourselves, or this Old Testament prophet, have the same exact opportunity. Will you believe in Jesus, or will you reject Jesus? Will you accept Jesus as Lord in your life, or will you reject him completely? Now, friend, God is no respecter of persons, so it cannot be concluded that one or the other of these groups has more of an opportunity than the other group. They all have the same opportunity. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, whether they be the political elite, the people gathered, or even this prophet, they all have the same opportunity. And thus, we can confidently conclude that each had an equal opportunity with equal knowledge but that didn't equate into a right standing before God. So what does it mean to be a true disciple of Jesus? It's not just about opportunities. It's not just about right knowledge. Something else must be at play. After all, number one, true disciples don't merely see or hear God's works, it should say. True disciples don't merely see God's works. The first point is a simple point, but one that is foundationally known. There's a lot of people who watch what Jesus did. They acknowledge what Jesus did and say, that's true. I, I see that Jesus is doing incredible things. I can see with my eyes the works of God. But true disciples don't merely see works. After all, some see the evidence, but they fail to follow it. Notice verses 14 and 15. And King Herod heard about it, for his name had been well known. And people were saying, John the Baptist has risen from the dead. And this is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others were saying, no, he's Elijah or Elias. And others were saying, he is a prophet like the prophets of old. All different ideas have come to play as to who Jesus really was. They knew he was someone. You can't deny the miracles. You can't deny the supernatural powers. You can't even deny the way he is teaching. 
The people then start to come up with their own theories because this is definitely a somebody. Maybe he's John the Baptist, come back from the dead. Maybe he's Elijah, come back from the dead. Remember, or from back from, to earth. Remember, Elijah was taken up bodily into heaven. And so maybe this is that one who's come back to earth. Maybe the prophets are back. It was generally believed at this point in history that the time of the prophets had come to an end. They hadn't heard from one for many, ta- many years now, and so maybe it's just one of the prophets come back to us. Many different ideas as to who this person was. But when Herod heard about it, he kept saying. There was, there was an answer he was sure it was. He kept saying, it's John, the guy I cut his head off. Now, whether you believe that it was John, Elijah, or an unnamed prophet, people saw evidence that they clearly couldn't deny. What was going on in the life and ministry of Jesus was so absolutely supernatural that the possibilities as to who he was were also supernatural. But just acknowledging that what Jesus does doesn't make a person a Christian. Sometimes I read about people looking at the evidences of God that are all around them. Some people call that intelligent design. It's the idea that I may know who God is, but if I'm honest, when I look around, I have to acknowledge that there is a designer. And if there is a design, there must be a designer. And there's good. There's a good sense in which we can look at that. And we can say there's, there's something more powerfully at play here. But none of those people who just are willing to acknowledge there's something more powerfully at play, there's someone bigger than us, just saying that alone and acknowledging there's something bigger out there doesn't by itself make you a Christian. You can see evidence, but just seeing evidence does not mean a person is truly saved. After all, some will see evidence, but still fail to follow And some will even be convicted by that evidence and yet still follow. Some are even convicted of their own sin, but they do not become followers of Jesus. King Herod certainly fits within that category. King Herod, when he heard about it, for his name had become well known. Drop down to verse 16. But when Herod heard, he kept saying over and over, it seems, John, whom I beheaded, is risen. Now, why would Herod be convinced that this was John. Even though the text doesn't explicitly say it, there is a clear implication that Herod is living with a guilty conscience. Here is a guy who knows he was responsible for John's death, and he knows John did not deserve to die. And that troubled Herod, and it troubles Herod. As soon as he hears about what is going on with Jesus, some people saying that it could possibly be John the Baptist, certainly his guilty conscience hooks onto that one, and he goes, yeah, I mean, I've been living with this weight. But people are even convicted of their own sin. People who are even convicted of their own sin and acknowledge that there's a problem, they still may not go all the way to accepting Christ as their Savior. We have, heard, we have a word for that. We call that jailhouse religion. And that's not a compliment. Many people are convicted of their sin, but they fail to follow Jesus. And the point we are seeing in this text is that you can see the evidence and even become convicted by that evidence, but that doesn't make you a Christian. Disciples don't 
merely see the works of God. It's more than that. What does it mean to be a true disciple? Well, some would say to be a follower of Jesus is more than just seeing God's works. You have to listen to God's word. You have to listen to preaching. You have to read your Bible. And maybe if you do regular Bible reading and go to church all the time, you'll become a Christian too. But friend, that's also not true. True disciples don't merely hear God's words. Here we find ourselves zeroing in on Herod. We see a person who feared religion but failed to follow the Lord. Look at verse 17. For Herod himself had sent him, sent men and had John arrested. Now Mark has given the account of John the Baptist's death. He had sent and had John arrested and bound him in prison on account of Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Now here is Herod, and he has married his brother's wife, which was clearly against Scripture, specifically Leviticus 18 and 20. And what Herod did was absolutely contrary to Scripture, and John is letting him know that. John boldly is letting him know that. And notice what it says in verse 18. And Herodias held a grudge against him, literally. She wanted to put him to death, but could not do so. She didn't have quite the power to do it, but she wanted John gone. Apparently, Herodias then was complicit in this whole affair. We can certainly see that here. And she wanted John dead, but something didn't allow her to do it. Something was keeping Herodias from putting John to death. What was it that kept Herodias from getting her wish granted? Verse 20. Herod was afraid of John. He was afraid of John. Knowing that John was a righteous and holy man, and he had been protecting him. What kept Herodias from killing John? Herod did. Think about that. You know, there are people who, for whatever reason, fear religion. They have a respect for religion. They have a respect for people like John. It might even be a superstitious fear. The text doesn't tell us. But there are people who will not mock religion. They will not make fun of religion. They have a respect for people who practice religion. They'll even open doors for religion. They'll listen to religion. Notice that Herod was one of them. It says in verse 20, When he heard, he was very perplexed. Herod was a guy who feared religion, but he was not a follower of Jesus. In fact, you could even say Herod enjoyed religion. After all, there are people, for other reason, they, they respect religion, they respect people like John, and notice, when he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. That's Herod. Religion and things of the church can be a matter of enjoyment for non-believers. There are many people who enjoy a theological discussion. There are many people who enjoy reading the Bible. It's a fascination to them. Even today, you can go to almost any secular university and take a Bible class. Most often, these classes will be taught by people who do not believe the Bible is a literal book. It will be taught by people who are not born again, who do not follow Jesus, but they are at least fascinated by the words of God. 
I have in my office what I call for research purposes only books. You have any of those? They're bottom shelf books. You know what a bottom shelf book is? That's what my dad always said. So you you, you got to situate in your office as a pastor. You got to be careful where you put your books, right? So you, when someone is sitting down, the eye level of the books that they're looking at on your shelf, those are the really good books, right? That's what you want them to look at. And then even up above, you know, if their eyes go up, you might want them. But if you have like some for research purposes only books written by a few heretics you might reference for an illustration every once in a while, those are on the bottom shelf so that when they're sitting down, they don't see them. You know what I'm talking about? And they don't get really confused as you're trying to talk to them. Why pastor has a heretical book in his library shelves? Those are bottom shelf books. Next time you're going to come to my office, I know what you're all going to do. You're going to be looking at my bottom shelf books. But there are certainly a treasure trove of illustration material, you could say, that are only worth illustrations or burning, that are written by people who are fascinated by the Bible and will even attempt to exegete the Bible but have no saving knowledge of the God of the Bible. The world is filled with people that fear religion and even enjoy religion, and yet they aren't followers of Jesus. Friend, friend, just because you fear religion doesn't make you a believer. And just because you enjoy religion doesn't make you a believer either. People find Jesus interesting. People find religion interesting. Even this very Sunday morning, there are churches that don't preach the Bible at all, but they'll still open their doors for church. That doesn't make people saved. What's my point? My point is to continue to pick at the same question. Who then is a true disciple? We're seeing this morning from Scripture, it's more than just seeing the works of God that makes you saved. And it's even more than just hearing the word of God that makes you saved. Though both of those can push you to an ultimate conclusion. What then is that conclusion? And here's the main point the third and final but main point. True disciples follow Jesus. Simple, isn't it? What does it mean to be a real Christian? It means to be a follower of Jesus. Many people say, I accept God's works. That's good, but that's not enough. Others will say, I have read my Bible. That's good, but that's not enough. True followers of the Lord Jesus Christ are those who are Christians, and a Christian is one who follows Christ. Thus, we have a wonderful example of a true follower in the person of John. And now, as we read through the Gospel of Mark, we've heard about John recently. Remember back in chapter 1? You can flip there, but I'll read it. Chapter 1, verse 14, talking about John. In fact, John's Gospel, unlike Other Gospels like Matthew and Luke who start with the birth of Christ. You remember Mark's Gospel starts with John. And so it says in verse 14, Now after John was taken into custody, this is after the beginning of John and baptizing of our Lord, after John was taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the Gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the Gospel. So you could say from Mark's Gospel that Jesus public ministry begins with the imprisonment of John the Baptist. 
John the Baptist was the voice crying in the wilderness. He's been imprisoned. When he's imprisoned, Jesus steps forward. And the point that Mark makes is there is something special about John that would cause Jesus to wait till John is no longer able to publicly preach until Jesus steps onto the scene. There is something very unique, very special. You could even use the word powerful about this man, John. Now, what are some of the things that Jesus says about John? If you go to the Gospel of Matthew, you read Jesus say this about John in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus began speaking to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? Why why did you come to see John? Jesus is asking the crowds. A reed shaken by the wind. But what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Those who wear soft clothing are in king's palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? He's asking. He's picking at him. Why? Why? What was so fascinating to you about John the Baptist? Yes, Jesus says, I tell you. And the one, John, who is more than a prophet. This is the one to whom it is written, Behold, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. That's John. This is John, and Jesus is drawing attention to him. And Jesus is saying, this is a very special person, this guy, John. John is an example of what it means to be a true follower of Jesus, even as he is the predecessor to set the stage for Jesus. Matthew 11, verse 11, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, among women there is not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. You should kind of be like wowed by that. That's pretty special. Read the rest of the verse in Matthew 11. In Matthew 11, verse 11, the beginning of the verse just says, Among men, women there has been none that arisen greater than John the Baptist. And we list out the second part of the verse now. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater even than he. Many people stumble over what that verse means, but let me put it to you plainly. John was a great man because he knew Jesus Christ. That's what made John great. And anyone who knows Jesus is in a very special place because we have more revelation about Jesus than even John had had at that time. And Jesus makes the point, the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. Those who put their faith in Jesus Christ are actually greater than John. They can know more about Jesus even than John did. That's John the Baptist. That's our example. Jesus is saying, look at John. He is a true follower. After all, John was an illustration then of true discipleship. A true follower of Jesus doesn't live for himself. A true follower of Jesus will live for Jesus Christ. Let's go back to verse 21 of our text. This is kind of a flashback because Herod was so troubled on killing John, and now Jesus is preaching, and it's all coming back to his mind. In verse 21 it says, An opportune day came when Herod, on his birthday held a banquet for his nobles, his military commanders, and the leading people of Galilee. And when the daughter of Herodias herself came in and danced, she pleased him, John, or rather Herod, and his dinner guests. And the king said to the girl, ask me whatever you want and I will give it to you. 
And this is a huge promise from Herod, made doubly huge because of the company now hear, who now hears it. So what does this girl choose to do? She went out and asked her mother, what should I ask for? Well, this little girl didn't know what to ask for, so her mom comes with an idea. It's a selfish and terrible idea, one that Mark has already alluded to has been in her heart ever since. This is not coming from this little girl. It's pretty clear this is coming from her mom. And she said to the daughter, ask for the head of John the Baptist. Finally, Herodias has the opportunity she's been wanting for. This is, this is what she's wanted all along. And immediately she came and hurried to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me the head of John the Baptist on, on a platter, is what she's saying. And although the king was very sorry because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he was unwilling to refuse her. That's really important. He is going to save face. He's, he, is, he, is, he is going to do this because he doesn't want to look like the loser in this scenario. And immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded him to bring back his head. And he went and beheaded him in prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. How shocking and stunning. And she gave it to her mother. Now what do we see here? What is the point here? Friend, what we see here is actually an example of discipleship. Again, what's our question from this message? What does it mean to follow Jesus? And you ready for the stunning answer from Scripture? It means you would be willing to give your life for Jesus. When we become Christians, it's not like you just get to add a little something to your life. It's not like I'm an American citizen, but I'm a Christian now, so I'm a member of this HOA over here. That's not what he's talking about. Or I'm an American citizen, but I'm also part of this particular party. Being a Christian is not saying I'm a member of a church. Being a Christian is not saying I subscribe to a particular set of ideals. Being a Christian means I'd be willing to do exactly what John did. John gave his life. And this is not step number two of Christianity. As if to say, I got saved and then I got more committed. This is Christianity 101. Matthew 16, Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. What Jesus is saying is that if you want to be a Christian, you need to die to yourself. That is the essence, the bedrock, the foundation of Christianity. This is the true Christian of Christianity. What does it mean for us to be a Christian? It means we are dead to ourselves. Christianity, by definition, are people who are carrying their crosses. Christianity involves suffering. It may involve death. That's what it means to be a true disciple. If you want to follow Jesus, you're willing to take the hard road. You're willing to go down the narrow road. That's what John now illustrates. And actually, John's illustration points, as his life's message did, to one who would come after him. John gave his life as an example of following Jesus, but John gave his life as a specific illustration even of what was to come. John is an example of what Jesus would come to do. John went around preaching a message of repentance just like Jesus. 
John was outside the religious mainstream, just like our Lord. John's message was widely ignored, just like Jesus' message was widely ignored. John was arrested, just like our Lord was. He was executed, just like Jesus. John's death was politically motivated, so was Jesus. One commentator put it this way, John's imprisonment was the sign for John's ministry to begin, or Jesus' ministry to begin. And so, John's death was the sign of how Jesus' ministry would end. Why did Jesus come? This is a question that many of his disciples were asking. He's getting huge crowds gathered to him. His popularity is growing. At one point, we'll come to discover that they welcomed him into the streets of Jerusalem and they cried out, Hosanna. There was a, a kind of an apex, and there was an idea, even in the hearts of his disciples, just grab a hold of this. I mean, we could shake up this whole world. Look at your popularity. Look at what is going on. Why did you come to the earth anyways, Jesus, if not to become king of all of this? And Jesus answered and said to them, From that time forward, Matthew 16, verse 21, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. That's why he came. And suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day, be raised. Jesus came to bleed and to suffer on a cross for the sins of all who put their faith in him. That's why Jesus came. If I am a Christian, how should then I be living? Well, in conclusion, real Christians do more than acknowledge Jesus' works. It's a good thing to read your Bible. It's a good thing to say, wow, Jesus is incredible. But that doesn't mean a person who does that is a Christian. Real Christians do more than stand in awe of the incredible works of Christ. Real Christians do more than read Jesus' words. There are people who woke up this morning and read their Bibles as they do every day that Christ doesn't even know their name. They read it for inspiration. They read it for a clever nugget for the day. But they are not followers of Christ because reading your Bible doesn't save you. Are you a real Christian? When I ask that, I'm asking, are you a follower of Jesus? And that second question was not different than the first. They are the same question. Are you a follower of Jesus? Are you a person who has died to yourself? Or do you say, all that I want is that dream or that goal? All I want is to have some kind of house. All I want is some kind of degree or some kind of vocation. All I want to do is marry this girl or guy and have all these kids. All I want is you just fill in that blank. Whatever it is that you have to die to, die to it. Have you said, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ will have my time, he will have my talents, he will have my treasure. I will not invest my time primarily in what I want, but in what Jesus wants. Whatever talents or abilities I have, they will all be turned over to Jesus. Whatever finances he blesses with me, I will give them all back to him. And friend, this is not a second step to being a Christian. I'm not saying you need to recommit yourself. There's only one kind of Christian. 
It's the one who follows Jesus. None of us are following him as closely as we should. But if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, I invite you to put your faith in him. And once you truly have put your faith in him, you will follow him. That's what Jesus promised. Jesus told his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Let him take up his cross and follow me. For whoever will save his life, they'll lose it. But whoever will lose his life for my sake will find it. John the Baptist, from Jesus' own mouth, is the greatest man who ever lived. That's what Jesus said about this man. And it's hard not to look at it and go, yeah. Because you think and you, and you, you kind of try to use John as a mirror to your own life in this passage and you say, I don't know if I would have the tenacity to say, I am willing to be beheaded for my Lord. That's a tough ask for anybody. But friend, let me ask you, what is most important in your life right now? What's the most valuable thing to you? If it's not Jesus, then what? Friend, Jesus is better. He is superior. He is worth it. You will never lose your investments in Christ. Ever. So invest your life in Jesus. Who is a true disciple? A true disciple is one who gives all that he has for the one who gave all that he is for you. Would you follow Jesus today? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you even for the example of John the Baptist in Scripture, one who gave it all for the one who gave it all for him. Lord, it's a privilege to rehearse this example of one who is trusted in you. And Lord, May we even follow the example of John. A tough ask, but Lord, an important one. If there's not ones here that have never accepted Christ as their Savior, may today, Lord, be the day of their salvation. I pray this in your name. Amen. With every head bowed and every eye closed, the instruments are going to begin to play. A song of invitation. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, may today be that day. The deacons are moving to prepare the communion elements. I invite you, in, in, as you reflect on the words of this message and the songs we've sung, to likewise prepare your heart to remember what Christ did for you, even as we partake in communion in a little bit.